God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from City Light Church in Omaha. Here's Pastor Chris Haruska. Hey, City Light, Merry Christmas! Guys, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's just good to be with you guys. I want to start uh, by just saying thank you. Thank you for getting in this room. Thank you for worshiping with us. I just want to remind us that today's a significant day. This is day uh, that's more than just dress up in my men's warehouse outfit or flowers on stage uh, or special Christmas cookies or any of that. This is a day where we as a church get to actually just pause and remember and celebrate the fact that, that God looked down at our fallen, messy, broken world that God looked at our messy lives, that God looked at our dysfunction, our sin, our rebellion, our self-righteousness, and, and God uh, knew that we were never going to be able to work our way from earth to heaven through our morality and rule-keeping and trying and, and do more and try harder and self-improvement projects. That was just never going to work. And so God literally stepped into his own creation, uh, second member of the Trinity, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, Jesus put on flesh and came to our fallen, broken world to save us from the penalty of sin, to defeat our enemies, to die a sacrificial death and win an ultimate victory on our behalf. And guys, I don't know about you, but Christmas is a time of great joy. Not because it's a time off from work or Hallmark movies or sentiment or fun music or any of that stuff. That's all fine. It's a time of great joy because it's a time that we remember that God has made a way for all of our sins to be forgiven that God has sent his very best when we were at our very worst, amen? Lots of good news here at Christmas. And uh, I don't know where you're at, but for me, Christmas is more than just like a tradition, you know? Like, ah, I don't know about you, but like grew up going to church like this on Christmas Eve and uh, mom would take me and we'd do the religious tradition. And honestly, it just kind of felt like pregame to like, you know, ham and pie and all the fun stuff. But something happened in my heart when I actually met Jesus, (laughs) When I encountered him and I realized that, that Jesus was more than just a historic figure or some theological um, kind of character that I needed to study or some fairy tale that we told kids, that, that Jesus was the savior that my desperate, broken, messy heart needed. Uh, and then Christmas Eve turned into a great celebration, joy, worship, and personal. So, um, so we got some work to do. Open up your Bibles if you got them. Luke chapter two, that's where we're gonna be. And today we're gonna be looking at the nativity scene, all right? And how many of you guys are familiar with the nativity scene? You've, you know about the angels in the field and the shepherds and the baby in the barn and Mary and Joseph. It's that scene. But, but I wanna help us to maybe see this scene from a new perspective. You know, typically we think of Christmas as the finish line. Like if you know your Bibles, there's a lot that leads up to Christmas, right? In Genesis chapter three, uh, Adam has blown up things, all right? He fell into sin, he was deceived by Satan, he fell into a trap, he believed the lie, he fell for the temptation, sin was ushered into the world. And in that moment, God promised that there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent, who would defeat the one who deceived humanity, who would undo all that was ushered in with Adam's fall. So hundreds of years pass. We're all looking for who is this king? Who is this victor? Who is this one that's gonna come, right? And then there's these 400 years of silence in the Bible where there's no prophet, no priest, no preacher, right? No divine revelation. There's lots of waiting. And finally at Christmas, the wait's over. Jesus has come, the savior is here. So in many ways we think this is the finish line, but that's not it. Christmas doesn't just mark the end of waiting. It marks the beginning of a battle. It was the first shot fired in a cosmic battle of salvation for humanity. Uh, Author Philip Yancey puts it this way. From God's point of view and Satan's, 
Christmas signals far more than the birth of a baby. It was an invasion, the decisive advance in the great struggle of the cosmos. Similarly, Brad, uh, 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 Chad Bird writes, silent night, violent night, hell and heaven meet to fight. See, when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just step into a barn on a cold night. He stepped into a war zone. And the battle was happening between God and Satan, the prince of heaven, the prince of this world, good and evil, light and darkness. They were colliding. And the battle and the fight wasn't over bragging rights or land or oil or power or politics. No, the battle was over us, our salvation, our redemption, our freedom, right? Jesus wanted to take away Uh, make a way for us to be set free from the dominion of darkness, set free from the penalty of sin, ushered into God's forever kingdom of light as citizens of heaven. That's what Jesus was coming to do. So Jesus is not just a cute baby. He's not just a familiar character. He's a promised warrior and victor that was coming to crush the head of the deceiver forever. That's why Jesus, when he made his public announcement in ministry, he didn't come and say, hey, I'm here to do miracles. I'm here to entertain you. I'm here to preach some sermons. I'm here to gather a crowd. I'm here to build a mega church. Those were not his aims. He said, I've come to set the captives free. Humanity was in captivity to sin, Satan, and death. He's come to set us free. So as we walk through Luke chapter two, I wanna ask a couple questions. How does God win this cosmic battle? Does he use the mighty with all of their power and platform, all of their resources and military strategies? Does he use that? Or does God use the meek, the weary, the lowly, the overlooked, the unexpected, those who depend on God and rely on him. And finally, I want to show us the message of Christmas. What is the, what is the primary message that we learn at Christmas? What's the good news that's being heralded? What, what needs to be received by us and responded to today? So that's where we're going. That's my outline. The mighty, the meek, and the message of Christmas. You got three M's. Be blessed. Come on, we got alliteration up in here. Now, It starts with Caesar. Let me show you guys this, verse one. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the world should be registered. So the first one we meet here is Caesar Augustus, and he's kind of a big deal. He's the first Roman Empire uh, emperor. He's a guy that that after taking rule and reign of the Roman Empire in 27 BC, uh, he managed to expand the empire significantly, conquering what is today Europe, the Middle East, in North Africa, all right? He's the kind of person, if you want to get something done, give it to him. He will get it done. He was so well-loved, he took on the name Augustus, which means, as an empire, great and revered. Guys, they started to worship him, move him from a man to a god. They put his face on coins with the inscription, son of God, divine Caesar. He calls for a census. He wants everybody in his empire to be counted. He wants to know where they live, who they are, Right? And so this is no small task. It would have taken a lot of work to count and number all of the people a part of the Roman Empire. But he did this for a couple reasons and it's significant for a couple reasons. First, theologically, if you know your Bible, God has a lot to say about the way the savior of the world is gonna come, how he's gonna come, where he's gonna come, when he's gonna come, what he's gonna come to accomplish. The Bible points to it all in the Old Testament. There's thousands of prophecies that Christ fulfills. And one of them happens in Micah chapter five. And God promises that the savior of the world will come through Bethlehem. Now, where are Mary and Joseph from? Nazareth, miles away. Mary is very pregnant. The last thing she wants to do in this season of her life is go on a long road trip and a long hike. 
Have you been around a pregnant woman? She wants to nest and put her fat pants on. That's what she wants. This is not a fun season in the middle of winter to go for a hike. That's not what she's looking forward to. But this census called by a Roman emperor, called and moved, literally moved them to a place in Bethlehem so that they could fill the promise of God. So what do we see in this census? First, I just want you to know that God is sovereign, that he keeps all of his promises, that from Mary and Joseph's perspective, this is an unwelcome circumstance, right? And yet God is sovereignly working in the midst of the mess, in the midst of the chaos. God is bringing about world history just like he said he would. Additionally, this census provides a contrasting backdrop to the birth of Jesus. You kind of have two kings in this story, King Jesus and Caesar, this king with his own kingdom. And he was pulling this census for two reasons. You would have a census because you want to know how many people are a part of my empire. And that would give you the revenue. How many taxes are we going to generate? Who's going to contribute? Additionally, you want to know how many able-bodied men we have so we can go to war and continue to conquer more land and take on more territory. That's why he was doing this. Caesar was measuring his might. Guys, he's flexing, all right? This is a flex, all right? This is, I've never been a part of this, but you know, if you go to the gym, you work out, do a couple reps, fill your muscles with, you know, like blood and they're just all pumped up, they're swolled up. You stand in front of the mirror. You might, you might give it a flex just real quick, just to see how much progress you made. Now, I would never do that, but I know some people like Joe would. And it's fun for me to mock him. But, but that's what this is, right? This is him admiring all of his might. Look at all we've conquered. Look at all the ways we've grown. Look at the way that our revenue's up, right? Look at the way we've got peace on our borders. This is him flexing. And we do this, by the way, all, in all different kinds of ways, right? You might not flex in front of a mirror, but you flex online. You post your highlight reels on social media. You, you admire how much influence you have and how many Facebook likes you get. You, you flex with your pretty Christmas card, right? By the way, the Chris, Christmas cards, I would like to see somebody get out of bed and just take a Christmas card one time. Stop putting gap on and doing your hair and just walk out and take a photo, okay? Um, we flex in so many different ways, right? Like, and, and we do this internally. Sometimes people don't even know but we're measuring how we, you know, we were young and we didn't have any money and now we've aged, now we've got money and we kind of calculate our net worth and we celebrate all the progress we've made. And it's just a mild flex. We're taking inventory of all of our might, all that we've accomplished, all that we do, all that we steward, all that we oversee, right? We talk about how we've climbed the labyrinth and gotten to the top. And that's what Caesar's doing. He's flexing. He's, he's looking at his might. And what'd be interesting is we've got to ask the question, well, maybe just maybe with all of this power and all of this wealth and all of these resources and all of this structure, all of the road systems that that the Roman Empire had built out, maybe just maybe that's how God's going to win the battle. He's going to leverage the strength of this Roman Empire, right? He's going to flex. He's going to team up with a team of really strong, amazing, incredible leaders. And he's going to bring peace on earth, raise the standard of living, change the world, bring joy to the the weary. Maybe that's how God's going to accomplish his plan. But that's not how Jesus comes, is it? Jesus doesn't show up among the mighty. Jesus doesn't come and run for political office or leverage military powers or team up with the connected and positioned. Rather, Jesus places himself in the midst of the meek in a cold, lowly manger in an overlooked back uh, barn. And so before I move on, I just want to pause, maybe press this into our hearts, okay? I think Caesar's in this text for more than just recording of history to say that it's not just a fairy tale. The Christmas story is a real 
story that happened in a real moment in human history. I think that Caesar's actually a warning for us to look at, church. I think he's a picture of what our lives apart from Jesus Christ will always look like. The default God of our lives, will, if it's not Jesus and the king of all kings, it will be you. You will maybe not rule over an entire empire, but you will try to be the king of your own little kingdom. And one of the things that you will do is you'll measure your might in life, all the things that you've accomplished. And one of the ways that we do this in our relationship with God is we start to play religious games with God. Maybe you've been convicted this year over your sin, over your brokenness, over your rebellion. Maybe relationships got messy because you got selfish. Maybe you failed to step into something that you knew God was calling you to do. Maybe it's been a long time since you had any level of of dependence on God or prayer, for, prayer towards God or praise on your lips towards God. Maybe, just maybe, you've sensed that. And what happens, one of the strategies that happens in the human heart is instead of confessing our sin, repenting for our sin, asking for God's grace and forgiveness, inviting his spirit to empower us to live differently, one of the strategies that we do is we start to say, yeah, 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 that's messy. That's messy. But you know what? Let me, let me measure all my might. You know, this year I've been a really great husband. This year, I was a better dad than I was the year before. This year, I gave some money. This year, I went to church. This year, I helped my neighbor out that one time. And we start to measure all of the things that we've done in our spiritual performance as if we could present our very best to a holy God and he would be impressed and clap. We're flexing. We're measuring our might. But you know what the invitation of Christmas is? Not to measure your might tonight. Not to clap for yourselves and say, well done. But to welcome Jesus Christ into the mess the real brokenness and the really ne- real neediness. The invitation of Christmas is not to show God your best, but to acknowledge that he alone can take your worst and love you as you are. That's one of the invitations of Christmas. So Jesus doesn't show up with the mighty, but he's gonna show up with the meek and he's gonna come in meekness. Let me show you guys this in verse four. So Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So we meet Mary and Joseph, right? These are not new characters for many of us, but let me just remind us, Mary and Joseph, from our, they come from the middle of nowhere, Nazareth, right? They are very uh, antithetical to Caesar. They're not rich, they're poor, they're not urban, uh, they're rural, they're powerless pawns, not political and powerful leaders. Um, They're not old and wise, they don't have a ton of wisdom, they're junior high-aged. They're from a small, unimpressive town called Nazareth. Joseph's a blue-collar guy, got callus on his hands, right? Not necessarily connected to the powerful and the well-resourced, not a military leader. He's the kind of guy that comes home with dirty work boots. That's, That's Joseph. And Mary... She was, wasn't all that impressive on the surface, not particularly educated or a part of um, some politically elite group. Mary was an unwed, expecting teenage mom. And what we learn is because of this census, they've traveled to Bethlehem, which is Joseph's hometown. And in verse seven, we discover that there's no room for the inn, okay? The Holiday Inn is all booked up. This is not good. You get on Airbnb, is anything available? No, okay? All the rooms are taken. There's nowhere for you to take your pregnant wife. The, the place is crowded. Now, this is not a great place. Like if you're Joseph, the best you can do is get the back of a barn behind a double wide next to the trailer tracks. Like this is, this is the reality. Imagine how Joseph was feeling in this moment. You know, you're away from family. 
right? The comfort of your own home, your wife's feet and lower back are starting to hurt. You're new to this whole family leadership thing. You're supposed to be leading and providing and planning. And the best you can offer is, is a bed made of straw next to some farm animals in the middle of a winter outside. Winning, okay? This sounds like a really unfortunate, messy situation. Just Joseph does not feel like he's winning in this moment. And Mary has to feel somewhat scared. Many women don't survive the birth, uh, childbirthing at this time. She's got to be nervous, exhausted from travel while she's pregnant. And she goes into labor. And who's there to catch baby Jesus? The king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one who spoke the whole world into existence. Who's there? Not a medical professional, not a loving grandma, but the calloused hands of a carpenter, Joseph. Guys, this is not a glamorous scene. I think that we like to like, you know, make this a Hallmark movie. Uh, We like to just, you know, make this some kind of country organic birthing experience. Like there must be shiplap in the barn and these beautiful little white lambs that snuggled up to baby Jesus, right? We, We like to sanitize this, but this is a dirty, messy barn and it's not comfortable. It was cold. It's the middle of winter. Other people were warming the cells in fires. They're, they're next to farm animals. And, and what's the good news here, right? What's the good news here? In the middle of the chaos, the stress, and the stench, the God of the universe comes right here. And friends, here's the good news for you. If the circumstances of your life look more like a chaotic, stressful, messy manger than a clean castle where Caesar lives, then you're exactly in the place that Jesus loves to show up. God loves to show up in the mess. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ abandoned the comforts of heaven and came and stepped into the messy, fallen, broken world we live in right now. Why? Because he loves us. Why? Because he wanted to rescue us. Why? Because he was going to pursue his people. Why? Because he was going to make good on all of his promises. Why? Because he's going to defeat all of our enemies. Why? Because he was going to secure eternal life for you and I. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus, in this year, right now, is still seeking and saving the lost, showing up in messy, broken places. So that's what Jesus has been doing, and that's what Jesus does. And I hope you see the hope of Jesus here. Like Caesar was a man who in the eyes of many had become God. Jesus was the eternal all-powerful God who had become man. He's lowering himself. He's coming in weakness. And the first people that he's going to invite to his, into his kingdom to see him in his glory are lowly, smelly shepherds in a field. And so City Light, let me just, before we move on, right, I just want to say that I look around this room and there's people in messes. Can I say that? And what religion wants to teach you and shape you to do is to try to keep Jesus away from all the messy, broken places of your life. Keep you away from the guilt and shame. Keep, keep, keep Jesus away from the addiction, the relational brokenness, the conflict that's been unresolved, the kids that are in rebellion, the stuff that you're working through. I just wanna let you know, wherever you're at, if you're in a place of mess, if you've got a mess, if you've got a, you got a room that smells like a stinky barn, the great news of the gospel is that you, you don't have to hide that stuff. Jesus loves to work in that stuff. That's where Jesus does some of his best work. He came from heaven to earth into a fallen, broken, messy world. He came into my life when it was a hot mess and he continues to remain in my life even as it is a hot mess. So this is personal and this is good news. So Jesus doesn't just use the mighty, he comes to the messy and he uses the meek. And the final thing I wanna show you is that the message of Christmas is good news. So let me jump back into our text. It says this in verse eight. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over the flock by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord showed around them. 
So this is great news. The second member of the Trinity has just been born in a barn and God felt like it should probably be announced to some people. When I had kids, I put it on Facebook and Instagram and blasted it and announced it, okay? I wanted to share the good news that I had received a child. Now, God the Father is doing the same thing. And what's unique and beautiful is even in these little details of Christmas, you're picking up what kind of king is this gonna be? It's gonna be a humble king right? What kind of kingdom is this going to be? It's going to be for the lowly and the overlooked, right? These shepherds are the modern day equivalent of guys that are working a late shift at the QT off the interstate. That's the shepherds. And God's announcing good news to them. What is the announcement being made? Here's the angel's announcement. It says this, fear not for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. This is the message of Christmas, that a savior has come. And friends, this is the message that we need. Like our morality is not sufficient. Our trying harder is not sufficient. Our spiritual progress is not sufficient. What you and I need before a holy God is a real savior who would obey perfectly in ways that you and I would never live. We needed that one, Jesus, the righteous one. We needed a sacrificial lamb of God to come and take away the sins of the world someone to absorb the wrath so that we wouldn't have to and someone to ultimately defeat our enemies of Satan, sin and death through his own resurrection when he broke out of the tomb. Guys, I want you to know that's exactly what God gave us. Jesus isn't just a miracle worker. Jesus isn't just a preacher. Jesus isn't just a teacher trying to give some kids lessons. Jesus isn't just some economic advisor trying to raise the standard of the living of the poor. That's not just who Jesus is. Jesus has come to take away our sins. Our primary problem that keeps us separated from God is just that, and Jesus came to do it. Now, how did he win this battle? You know, the first Adam fell into temptation to Satan. He fell into the lies and the deceit, but here we have a greater Adam who resisted the devil in the desert, who went to the cross absorbing the wrath of God and broke out of his own tomb as to display that Satan's sin and death had no hold on him. Jesus Christ has won the war. He's defeated our enemies. He secured our hope and our victory. He's the victor who came and fought our battles. This is really good news. Finally, I, I love that the Gabriel, uh, Gabriel announces that Jesus, and it says this about the Savior, he comes for all people, for all people. You know, it's amazing. Um, when I went to college, it felt like the professors were looking for a specific kind of person. Now that I coach basketball, I gotta be honest, I'm looking for a specific kind of athlete, all right? In most arenas, if you're an employer, you're looking for people, a specific kind of people, all right? And, and here I see a Jesus, his kingdom, and he's for all people. He's for a Republican, Democrat, black and white, rich and poor, the things that defied all the other kingdoms. Here Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. You know what's necessary to be a part of my kingdom? To humbly acknowledge your sin, your brokenness and rebellion, and to believe in me. That's what it is. You want acceptance with God? What are you gonna do with Jesus? So let me just close with this. I think this is really good news, but here's what I know it needs to be responded to. You know, there's some of you guys that have come to church gatherings like this with family members for years and years and years. And it's part of your holiday tradition. It's what you do at the end of the year. You find your Christmas sweater, you put on your Christmas tie. It's the pregame to a meal out of family members. It is what it is. But could it just be that tonight is the night that you need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ for your heart, for your soul? Some of you guys have played religious games with God. You've thought, man, I, I think what God really wants for me is just to be a better version of myself. 
This year, I'm going to give it a better world. I'm going, to, I'm going to try a little bit harder. I'm going to work my way into God's graces through my own moral obedience and spiritual scorekeeping. But guys, I just want to keep it real. Like, if, if you being a better version of you was all that was required to be accepted by a holy God and receive eternal life, then Jesus Christ didn't have to come. Jesus Christ didn't have to die on that cross, but he did have to come because our moral obedience was never gonna be enough. Listen, if you're here today and you've been playing religious games and doing the Christmas thing and singing a couple of the songs, I just want you to know there's a savior who loves you, who's ready to forgive you and wants to usher you into a new kingdom. Would you believe in him tonight? If you're a Christian, this is probably not anything new for you. Uh, You've heard this, especially if you've been a part of City Light. It's not like we just talk about Jesus on Christmas and Easter. This is pretty much every sermon that me and Joe preach. It has something to do with Jesus. But I hope you hear the good news for you tonight. And I love that the the response of the shepherds was worship. They worship. They oriented their lives around this Jesus. They sang to this Jesus. They praised this Jesus. But also, before we move on, I just want to preach good news to the Christian in the room. You know, I don't know about you, but I think the temptation in all of the hurriedness of our lives with kids out of school and people getting sick and expectations for the holidays is there's so many things going on that we never slow down to receive and internalize this internal news. And I don't know about you, but it seems like the temptation for me, even at this end of the year, is just to evaluate. How'd I do, right? How'd I do? How do I look? What have I made? What have I cultivated? How did I lead? Who did I serve? How did I pray? How did I witness to my neighbor? Did God use my life? It's like I start to play back the year in my highlight reel and my low light reel. And maybe that's not all bad. I think it's good to take inventory of your life, to think about areas that you can serve Jesus and surrender to him. But here's what I know. I've blown it this year and you probably have too. And I just want you to know church, the good news of Christian Christmas is that we have a savior that's still sufficient. The blood of the land is still sufficient for you. Your sins are still forgiven. Jesus is still sustaining you. He will finish all that he started in you. Emmanuel, God with us. He's come, he's sought, he's saved. He's defeated our enemies. He's won our victory. Jesus is worthy to be praised, amen? Would you receive the good news tonight? Jesus loves you, church. He came, right? For God so loved the world, he came. This whole rescue mission was motivated not out of duty, but out of delight. He loves you. He couldn't wait to rescue you. We are the treasure that he's won in this great battle. Let's pray. Jesus, we wanna say thank you Thank you for your grace, Jesus. Thank you that you've kept all your promises. Thank you that you've come to seek and save. And thank you that you defeated all of our our enemies. God, I wanna pray right now for the church, for the Christians in the room. I wanna pray that this would be the thing that gives them joy. Not time off from work, not a few trinkets under the tree, but Jesus, would you be our joy, knowing that you are a faithful, generous, gracious God, knowing that you are a victor who's fought our battles knowing that we have unmovable hope because of all that you've accomplished for us. Jesus, we are your church. We are your treasure. We simply wanna come back to you today and say thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we wanna pray right now for those who are wrestling with their own faith. Maybe they've moved from a place of religion to conviction. Tonight is the night that they wanna say yes to King Jesus. I wanna pray for you. If that's you, would you simply in your heart say, Jesus, I want to receive you as my savior and my Lord. I see the ways I've run from you and tried to play Caesar in my own life. And I want to receive you as my king. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Chris Haruska of City Light Omaha. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.